I want to begin this morning with a question. I wonder how many of you have a bucket list. Now, I know even by saying that, some of you might be like, a bucket list? What is that? Well, a bucket list is a list of things that people create, um, things that people want to do before they kind of kick the bucket, right? It's like, these are the things that I want to do. These are the places that I want to go. These are the achievements that I want to accomplish before I pass on someday. And so often on a, on a person's bucket list, things that they might have or things that they might want to see. And so you say, well, one day I want to see the Eiffel Tower or I want to see the Great Pyramids or I want to see the ancient ruins in Rome. And sometimes those things might be a, a trip that you want to go on, a, a, a place that you want to go visit. And so, you know, maybe you say, like, I want to go on a family vacation to see the Grand Canyon or to see Yellowstone National Park or maybe go to Hawaii or something like that. Sometimes it's not some place that you want to see or, or a place that you want to go, but maybe it's an achievement that you want to accomplish. And so you say, you know, I really want to finish that degree that I started back in 1979. Or, or maybe I want to learn how to play the piano. I want to learn a foreign language. And so you have this bucket list, this list of things that you want to do before you kick the, the bucket, before, you, uh, before this life is over. Now, of course, the challenge is the ticking clock. And once you've blown past your 30s and 40s, maybe you've blown past, you're into your 50s and, and into your 60s, and you start wondering, you know, how am I ever going to have time to get all of these things done? I'm never going to get, I'm never going to have the time to go all the places that I want to go to, uh, experience all the things I want to experience. Well, a couple of days ago, I, I was really relieved when I was on the internet and I was looking for a journal. And I found this book, and we're going to put a picture of this book up on the screen this morning. It's called The Chuck It List, all right? This is a, a list of a thousand things that I'm never going to do before I die. And so you don't put things on the list that you want to do, but these are things that you say, you know what, I'm never going to get that done. And so maybe there are some countries that you're never going to go to. I grew up, um, my family, we didn't travel too much. We were farmers and we were very much uh, tied to the home. And, and so we didn't travel a whole, whole lot. Sue and I, we get married, we moved to Chicago. But you know what? I have only left the United States a couple of times in my life. And those times I went to Canada. I'm not even sure if that counts, does it? But you know, there are 196 countries in this world. I'm 41 years old, and I've only been to two of them, the United States and Canada. And let's be honest, there's no way that I'm going to make it to very many of those places in my lifetime. And so maybe I can put some of those countries on the chuck it list, right? You know, places like Tango and Uruguay and Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan. You know, those are just gone. They're on the list. They're on the chuck it list. I'm not going to make it there. You know, I, I like to play sports, but the, I'm not getting any younger. And I think about some of the sports that I'm not going to be able to play. 
I mean, there, there's a time where I, I might have thought about uh, trying to make something professionally, but that's not going to happen anymore. And so you think about this, you know, one of the things that I'm probably never going to do is I'm never going to go on the Iditarod. I mean, that's never going to happen. Put it on the list. Uh, today, there are some athletes who are playing professional sports into their 40s and and yet I'm coming to the realization that, you know, the Chicago White Sox are never going to hire me as their center fielder. In fact, I'm, not, I'm at the point in my life where I'm not sure if any softball team that's any good in the neighborhood would even want me on their team anymore. You know, the, the Chicago Bulls, they're, they're not going to hire me unless they hire me as their chaplain. And the reality is, I mean, they do need some prayer, so that might work out. Another category might be, um, you know, the awards that I'll never win. Uh, I, it really pains me to say this, but I'm never going to win a Grammy. I'm never going to win a Nobel Peace Prize. I am never going to win Cupcake Wars. I mean, it's sad, but I just got to put this on the list and chuck it, right? Talents that I'll never master. At this point, I have to realize that I'm never going to play the banjo. I'm never going to be an artist that's really great, that draws great pictures or something. And I just have to admit that there are certain things that I just don't have the talent and I'm never going to be able to master these things. Even things like reading a tape measure with accuracy. <laughs> there is this chuck it list where we say, you know, that there are all these things that I want to do in life, but I just don't have enough time. Time is just flying by, and I can't do everything. I can't go everywhere that I wished I could go, and the problem is the ticking clock. And friends, it's not just the person who is burned through their 40s and 50s, but I'm talking as well about the younger person, the person who's in their 20s. And and maybe you've started a new job recently, and you know, a few months into this job, you're going into work one day, and you're getting close to work, or you're sitting there maybe in the parking lot beforehand, and you're scrolling down through your phone. And you're scrolling through Instagram, and you see that one of your friends is backpacking in Nicaragua. And you think, like, what am I doing? I'm just going into work here. This is ridiculous. And so uh, you put your phone down, you go into work, you work this long uh, shift, you, you come back out, you're so exhausted, you just want to go home and go to sleep. And, and, and you get in the car, you pick up your phone again, and, and you're scrolling through Instagram again quickly, and you see that this same friend is now bungee jumping off of a, a waterfall in Nicaragua. And in that moment, you just feel like life is just passing you by. I mean, I'm never going to have enough time to do all of the things that all of these other people are doing, all of these things that I would love to do with school and work and doing dishes and going to the grocery store and taking care of kids' life. I mean, there's just this feeling that today more than ever because of social media of, you know what, I'm never going to have enough time to do all the things that I just want to do. And so today, we want to talk a little bit about the bucket list, and we want to talk about the resurrection. And how are these two connected here? 
You know, I, I realized that um, I was thinking about that this week, and I, I came across this article where it was entitled, Why the Reality of the Resurrection Means That You Don't Need to Have a Bucket List. And I thought, wow, I mean, that's kind of an interesting thought. Why the reality of the resurrection means that you don't really need a bucket list. You think, well, what, what connection could there possibly be between the resurrection of Jesus, this thing that we celebrate at Easter time, and, and this idea of the bucket list? Well, let's talk about it once. Easter Sunday is so wonderful because of how awful and how terrible, how horrible Friday was. On Friday, Jesus was executed on a Roman cross by uh, this uh, squad of soldiers. His, his friends, they, they take him down and they hurriedly put him into a borrowed tomb. Saturday, it's a dark day, a quiet day. And then early on Sunday morning, a few of the women who were dear friends and followers of Jesus throughout his ministry, they carried some spices to this tomb. And they wanted to give him a proper, decent burial. But when they get to the tomb, they discover that the tomb is empty. And that's Easter. That, that's the resurrection of Jesus. But what does that have to do with the passing of time? What, what does that have to do with the bucket list? What does that have to do with all of these anxious thoughts and feelings of somehow we're going to miss out on something? I don't want to come across as being overly dramatic here, but I do want to say that believers who understand the resurrection will live and give and serve and sacrifice in a totally transformed way. That understanding the resurrection can change the way that you view life and the opportunities that you have. The followers of Jesus Christ who understand the resurrection are freed to live and serve and give and sacrifice in a way that the rest of the world will never experience. The way I see this is that we have this tendency of squandering our lives, the lives that we're living now, because we have this pathetic view of the life that is to come. And so this morning, I hope that we're able to have a serious conversation about the resurrection and about the bucket list. And the message this morning is going to unfold in three parts. So part number one, we are going to travel back 2,000 years, and we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Now, the resurrection, as I said, is only powerful and extraordinary the way that it is because of what happened on Friday when Jesus was executed on a Roman cross. It was a dark, dark day. We just came through this series recently, a sermon series recently called Road to the Cross, and we looked at many of the events surrounding the, uh, the, the cross. Last week and even this past Friday, we talked about how Jesus had been beaten and mocked and taunted and scorned, that he was hung on a cross and he died. But, but he wasn't put there because of something that he had done. He, he was put there on the cross because of something that we had done. He, he was put on the cross because of our sin. He died in our place. And one of the things that we see at the cross it, it, when we trust in Jesus as our Savior, that he takes our sin upon himself. But, but not only does he take our sin upon himself, but in return, he gets, we get from him his righteousness. And what a beautiful picture that is. But at the end of the day, what we see in this story is that Jesus was very, very dead. 
It was that a lifeless corpse that was lowered down from the cross. They, they take Jesus' body and they put it into a borrowed tomb. It was owned by a guy by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Saturday was a Sabbath, and so people didn't work on the Sabbath. Sunday comes, and at daybreak, a few of Jesus' friends, women who had followed him throughout his ministry, they get some spices together, and they come to the tomb in order to give him a proper burial. But when they get to the tomb, they find that it's empty, right? You say, well, great, that's Easter, right? Well, that's not quite Easter, Easter is not Jesus is missing. Easter is not, well, we can't find Jesus. What, what are we going to do now? No, Easter is Jesus is back. Jesus is alive. It's not that Jesus has gone, is dead and gone missing now, but that Jesus was very, very dead, and now he is very, very alive. And so what we see is that after the empty tomb, Jesus starts appearing to all of these different people. He, he appears in all of these different places. And he appears to some disciples. But one of the disciples that wasn't there was this guy by the name of Thomas. And when everyone else comes to Thomas and says, hey, guess what? We've seen Jesus. He's alive. And Thomas says, no way. I'm not going to believe it. I don't know if he's really alive. I'll believe it when I can stand right in front of him, when I can see him face to face, when I can touch him and take my fingers and put them in the nail prints, when I can take my fingers and put them in the side where the soldier, the Roman soldier, had pierced him. And so Jesus appears to this group of people, and Thomas is there, and, and Jesus says, Hey, Thomas, hey, come on over here. i got something to show you. And he shows him the scars. He shows him the wounds. And something is very, very clear here. That Jesus is back. And Jesus has a physical body. Jesus can be touched. You can feel him. On another occasion, Jesus shows up and he asks his men for something to eat. And he was very, very real, right? He's physical. He has a physical body. Easter is not that Jesus is missing, but it is about how Jesus is back. He has gone from very, very dead to very, very alive. He's not floating around as some spirit somewhere. He's not some ghost. He, he's flesh and blood, and he is back. Well, one of the stories that I just love is uh, Jesus after the resurrection. There's this occasion that he has gone off somewhere for a while. And Peter, uh, James, and John, they say, hey, let's go fishing. And so uh, they, they've been raised in a fishing community in the fishing industry up north on the Sea of Galilee. And so they're up in Galilee, and they go and they get their nets, and they get their boat, and they go out on the lake, and they go fishing. Well, Jesus appears on the shore, and when they realize that it's actually Jesus, they are uh, so excited, they take their boat, and they bring it to the shore, and this is what they find. This is John chapter 1 and verse 9. John chapter 1 and verse 9, it says this. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Now, you know, that, that might not seem overly amazing to you, but I think this is such a beautiful image. Because here is the resurrected Jesus and he is on shore. And he is cooking bread and he is roasting fish on an open fire. And he invites his disciples to come over to sit down with him and to have breakfast with him. 
This is Jesus and he's having a lakeside cookout after the resurrection. So how does the resurrection affect the bucket list? Well, we're going to get to that in just a moment. But what I want us to notice here is that Jesus has a real, physical, resurrected body. That he can be touched. That he can eat. That, that, that he can make a fire. He is cooking. And I want you to have that image in your mind as we move on from part one, the resurrection of Jesus, to part two, the resurrection of the believer. The resurrection of the believer. Now, this is kind of a big transition here. The resurrection of Jesus to the resurrection of the believer. But I want you to just think about this once. You know, life starts out and there's this little precious baby that you welcome into the world. Seven pounds, eight, eight ounces, 20 inches long. And then what? Well, the parents bring the baby home, and for the first few months, the baby just sits there. doesn't really do too much. But not long, this baby begins to crawl. And she's pulling herself up, and then she starts to walk, and then she begins to move around, and she explores her world. She starts putting things into her mouth, things that she has no business of putting into her mouth. And she learns to run. She climbs. Initially, she needs to be fed and be dressed. And then what? Well, he, he learns to ride a bike, learns to swim, continues to explore, enjoys uh, to listening to music, learns how to make food, or at least he enjoys dining on the food that other people have made. He, he might enjoy learning how to grow plants and work out in the garden and the different kinds of foods that can be grown. He might enjoy water. Maybe it's walking around a stream or a lake. Maybe it's going to the ocean and, and, and feeling those waves crash against the shore and crash against him. We learn to enjoy the aroma of spring rain. We learn to enjoy the scent of fall. And there are all these enjoyments that begin to flood our lives as we begin to explore and experience life. But there is also the dark stuff that happens too, right? I mean, we live in a broken world, and so there, there's, the, there's the brokenness of maybe someone breaking up with you. Or maybe someone that you love so much has this debilitating disease that you find out about. Or you end up showing up at the funeral home because someone who is really close to you has just died. And, and there is this merging of the beautiful and the broken. And, and as we go through grade school and our teens and our 20s and onward, these are things, these are experiences that we have. But then what? Well, then you age. And you age no matter what. There's nothing that you can do to stop the aging process. People try all the time. But you get to a point in your life where maybe you need glasses and you never needed glasses before. You get to a place in your 60s and 70s and, and you begin to wonder and realize that your body is a little bit more brittle, a little bit more breakable than you thought it was or realized it was. And that's the reason why there, there aren't things like intramural tackle football teams in retirement homes, right? Suddenly there comes a day when your kids say to you, Dad, you know what? I don't think you should be driving the car anymore. Because they realize that your reaction time in your sight just isn't what it used to be and they don't want you to cause an accident. And there might even come a day when you need help to get dressed. You need help to eat again. And the reality is, is that none of us is going to live forever. We pass on, we leave this world. 
But for those who have experienced redemption and salvation and justification before God, that this transfer has taken place because of the crucifixion, there is something that can be looked forward to beyond the grave, right? The Bible tells us in places like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that for the believer, our bodies, our physical bodies, are going to be placed into the ground, but that our souls are present with the Lord. You know, a lot of times believers hear that and they think, well, you know what, that's the end, right? That the, the earthly body is no longer living and breathing. It's placed in the ground that the soul uh, goes and is in the presence of Jesus for all eternity. And that's the end of the story, right? But that's not all that there is. What, what is next? What, what's next? Well, we wait We wait for a day when we are going to receive new, physical, resurrected, restored bodies that are different than our first body, but it's still us. Did did you know, do you know what the Bible says is going to happen? Well, the Apostle Paul, he writes to the church in Philippi, and in Philippians chapter 3, he says this, Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. He says, our citizenship is in heaven And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies. Uh, That's the breathable, uh, the breakable, um, uh, sin-scarred bodies that we live in right now. And it goes on and says, to be like His glorious body by the power that enabled Him even to subject all things to Himself. What, what is Jesus' glorious body? What does Jesus do in his glorious body? What does he do in his glorious resurrected body? Well, you know, people can touch him, right? They can touch him. They, they, he can eat. He has lakeside cookouts in his glorious body. And what we see here is that for the believer... We are not just spirits that are going to be floating around somewhere forever, but we are going to have physical, resurrected bodies in the future, in eternity. Now, what's kind of interesting here is that there's this conflict that stirs up in one of the early churches, this place called Corinth. And Corinth was quite a distance from Jerusalem and Galilee, the place where Jesus had spent most of his time doing uh, his public ministry. But the church of Corinth gets this long letter that's written to them. And one of the major subjects that's dealt with in this letter is this whole discussion about the resurrected body. Does it really happen or does it not? Because that's a major debate that's happening within this particular church. I'd like you to be able to see this for yourself. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning or you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you, open that app on your Bible phone. But join me, if you will, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're not going to read this whole thing, this whole discussion on the resurrection, but just some of it here. You know, this city of Corinth was close to Greece. It was heavily influenced by Greek philosophy. In fact, there was this idea in that culture that said, you know what, anything that has to do with the physical body is a bad thing, but anything that has to do with the spiritual body is a good thing. So physical body, bad. Spiritual body, good. And so there's this group of people in the Corinthian church, and they say, you know what, why would God ever want to give us physical bodies back? Because physical bodies are bad and spiritual bodies are good, and I'm happy if I could just be a floaty spirit floating around in a cloud somewhere. And so Paul writes to them to kind of clear this up, and he says, no, someday you are going to have a physical resurrected body from the Lord, and that is going to be such a blessing. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse, uh, it has 58 verses in it. And so this is a lengthy discussion here about the resurrection and why it matters. But we're not going to read this whole thing. We're only going to read a few verses here. If you, uh, beginning there in verse 37, Paul starts talking here. And he's talking about seeds and, and planting seeds in the ground. And how when you plant a seed in the ground, then it begins to sprout and it begins to grow. And he talks about how in the same way, that's what happens when we go to a cemetery. That when this body is placed into the ground, it's like you're planting a seed in the ground. And so we pick up the conversation there beginning in verse 42. And here's what it says. Here's what Paul says. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, what is put in the ground is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And what Paul is talking about is not that our souls are just going to go on, but he's saying that at the resurrection, we are going to have a physical body. Now, when I think about this, I, and I think about what Jesus experienced in his resurrection body, uh, that, that, that it gives me a whole new view of heaven. It gives me a whole new view of the new heavens and the new earth and what they're going to be like. We're not just going to be sitting on clouds playing little harps somewhere. We are going to have physical bodies and we're actually going to be able to do things. You think about this once. Those of us who are believers will be given physical resurrected bodies and we will be living on a restored planet with our resurrected Jesus Christ. A, a resurrected body on a resurrected planet in a, with, with our resurrected Lord and what an amazingly glorious thing that's going to be. Here's the question. If this broken world that we live in right now can be enjoyable and we can have good opportunities and uh, we, we have all of this, uh, the, these colorful pictures and these um, things, that, these great opportunities, why would we think that the, the, the new heavens and the new earth, what's to come is going to be less enjoyable and less colorful and less uh, opportunities? Why would we think that the world that is yet to come is going to be more boring than the current world that we live in? And I think that the answer is, well, it's not going to be. Living in the new heavens and the new earth, we, with our resurrected bodies in the presence of our resurrected Savior, is going to be unbelievably, indescribably, amazingly glorious. Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John He's given a glimpse, he's given a vision of what the new heavens and the new earth is going to be like. He, he's, he writes down the things that he hears. He writes down the things that he's told. And here is what we read. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 3. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In the world to come, we are not going to have to battle the ticking clock anymore. In the world to come, we're not going to have to battle disease and pain and brokenness anymore. 
Imagine in the world to come that you could canoe around for decades in a chain of lakes. You could explore caves and waterfalls and islands for decades before you decide to move on to something else. What if you can bike and hike and, and what if you can swim without getting tired? What, what if your knees and your hips and your joints don't hurt anymore? You're not sore after you go outside and work. Imagine what it would be like for this perishable body to be an imperishable body. For this mortal body to be an immortal body. For the, this flawed body to be a glorious body. This is why I believe that our priorities here in this life get paralyzed by a pathetic view of the future. But we can get our priorities back in line as we get a more healthy view of the future and of the resurrection. And so now maybe you're beginning to see how the reality of the resurrection means that you really don't need a bucket list anymore in this lifetime. Because there is a whole world ahead with plenty of opportunity to accomplish everything that you want to accomplish, even things that you can't imagine doing here in this life and in this world. So let that soak in. Let that grab you. Because that can change the way that you live your life in this world right now. So, so we started by talking about the resurrection of Jesus. We moved on to talk about the physical resurrection of the believer and how we're going to have physically resurrected bodies. This physical world is going to be restored and our, we're going to be with our resurrected Lord with the beauty and loads of opportunity that could never even be imagined here in this lifetime. But now I want us to move on to the third part of the story. And I want us to talk about what difference this makes. I mean, what difference uh, do, does the resurrection have in our lives? If, it, what, what, what does the resurrection, how does the resurrection change the, the way that we live our lives, the way that we serve, the way that we give, the way that we sacrifice? What difference does this really make? Well, I want to draw your attention back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because Paul says there, if there is no resurrection of the body, then that's going to affect the way that we live. And then in verse 32, here's what he says. He says, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I have fought with beasts in Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, and now he's going to give us some advice here. He says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And Paul says, you know what, if there is no resurrection and this is the only shot that we have, then you know what, we might as well just live it up. We might as well live for the things of this world. We might as well live for the here and now. We might as well do everything that we can to get every possible pleasure that we can in this life right now. By the way, this saying of Paul's here is not something that he had made up, but this was a saying that was common in the Corinthian culture of that day. And what they believed was, you know what, you better get as much pleasure as you can right now in this life. And Paul says, if there is no resurrection life out there, then you better create a bucket list. You better do as much of that bucket list as you possibly can because this is the only shot that you're going to have. If there is no resurrection, it makes a difference right now. And I wonder if that describes you today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, could your life be characterized by saying, you know what, I'm trying to grab as much of this life as I can right now because of the ticking clock. This is the only shot that I'm going to have. My friends, 
That is a profoundly unbiblical worldview. And Paul says, that's the worldview of someone who thinks that when you're dead, you're dead, and there is nothing after that. So, how do we live if there is a resurrected body coming? Well, here's what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the very last verse of the chapter. Verse 58. He says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And Paul says that if there is a resurrection of Jesus, if that is true, then it is going to totally change everything about life for you. He says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is in light of the resurrection, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not a colossal waste of your time, that it is not in vain. When you live with a daily consciousness of the world to come, it will change the way that you live and give and serve and sacrifice right here and right now. It says, always abounding in the work of the Lord, or as some of the other translators put it, and I like this, it says, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. You know, you hear that and you say, well, if I'm going to give myself fully to the work of the Lord, I mean, how am I ever going to do that? Because then I'm going to have to quit my job and I'm going to have to become a pastor or something. But you know what? Paul's not writing to preachers here. He's writing to ordinary people in a congregation. He says, whatever it is that you're doing, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because of the resurrection that is coming, because you know that this is not the end. Because you know that, that what you do in this life is not a waste of your time. Listen, when you're able to live and keep things in a proper perspective, realizing the hope of the resurrection, you understand that the circumstances of life are not the end of the story. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. So the things that you do, when you do them for the Lord, they're not a waste of your day. They're not a waste of your life. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain, he says. That job that you work, the school that you go to, the block that you live on, the people you interact with, the ways that you serve both in the church and outside of the church, these things are not in vain. When you realize the truth of the resurrection, you give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because the things that most people run after in this life, the the bucket list, those things don't matter so much anymore, do they? The Apostle Paul says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Sure, there are things that you could do that you might not be able to do. There are opportunities that you might want to be involved in that you're not going to be able to do in this life. There are things on the bucket list that are going to have to move to the chuck it list. And there is going to be plenty of time, though, for all of those things. Comprehending the resurrection can change the way that you live your life right now. Now, please hear me here. I am not against bucket lists. All right? Don't think that this is a message telling you to not have a bucket list because my family, we have things that we would like to do. There are the things that we would like to do even this summer. And I think that those things can be good. They can be healthy. But those things are not the most important things in our lives when we are living at our best. 
Those things are on the outer edges of our lives and they can refuel, they can reinvigorate the living and the giving and the service and the sacrifice and, and that is supposed to be the center. That is supposed to be the core of our lives. I'm in my early 40s now and more and more as time goes on, there are more and more things that are moving from the bucket list to the chuck it list. I'm realizing that there are more and more things that I'm just not going to be able to do. But for me this week, a compelling image in my mind has been the resurrected Jesus. And he's seated there around this campfire on the beach and he is cooking bread and he is cooking fish. Relax. Don't be consumed with anxiety. Don't uh, obsess over the ticking clock that's in your head. There will be plenty of time in eternity. Jesus was really fully dead. He became really fully alive. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, his new aliveness became, becomes a prototype for us. That, that the image that we see in our minds is this lakeside cookout. And it's glorious. And so what I want to leave you with today is this. My beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable. Because of the resurrection, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. And be reminded that it is not a waste of your life. That your work in the Lord is not in vain. There's going to be plenty of time to do every good and holy and wholesome thing that you could ever imagine. And even things that you can't imagine yet. Let's pray.